Hello and welcome to our series of podcasts on mental health interventions for refugee children. My name is Esther Schroeder and I'm a doctor doing research in refugee health at the University of Oxford. Across this series, we cover assessments, treatments and home and school interventions by talking to experts in these fields. This episode has a focus on narrative exposure therapy, or NET. I've talked to three clinicians who use NET regularly for this podcast. Associate Professor Mina Fazell is a consultant psychiatrist and researcher at the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Oxford. Kerry Young is a consultant clinical psychologist and runs the Woodfield Trauma Centre for Refugees with PTSD in London. And Dr. Katie Robjent is a consultant clinical psychologist specialising in working with vulnerable migrants in the Democratic Republic of Congo for Vivo International and the University of Constance. Mina and Katie will start by introducing NET and some of the good evidence it has for treating PTSD. Narrative exposure therapy, or NET as we call it, has a really good evidence base for people who've experienced multiple traumatic events. This is not uncommon in refugee populations to have maybe been exposed to events that have happened in your home, and then in the whole process of deciding to flee, it might be that more traumatic events have precipitated that. And then the whole host of potentially traumatic experiences, many can go through in the journey to a country of refuge. So the evidence base for NET is really to treat people who have been exposed to multiple traumatic events. And what we know about NET is that both the original version of narrative exposure therapy, the adapted version for children, KidNet, and the newly adapted version for perpetrators of violence, FORNET, or Forensic Offender Rehabilitation, What we know is that all of these that have been trialled in various different contexts in low and middle income countries, including those which have ongoing insecurity, it is a robust treatment for post-traumatic stress disorder and that we have what we see in these trials is very low dropout rates. So it's a well-tolerated therapy, even in situations of ongoing insecurity and even in very low resource settings. So Katie now uses NET for most of her patients and talks about what these sessions involve. Basically what it involves is talking through the person's life from their birth to the present day in quite a lot of detail, but very particularly focusing in on the traumatic things in the person's life. So what they do is they start by laying a thing called a lifeline. And so the patient and the therapist normally sit on the floor and they get a piece of ribbon or rope or string and uh, the therapist lays it on the floor between them and you know says so this ribbon represents your life so this end here by me that's when you were born and that end up at the top there that's the future of your life you haven't lived yet and then all the way between will be you know different phases of your life and then what you also have on the floor with you is a big pile of stones and a big pile of flowers or leaves. They can be artificial flowers or, or whatever you've got to hand, really. And the, the therapist then says, so these stones represent the serious, bad, traumatic events that you've had in your life. And these flowers represent the good times, the nice things, the significant nice things that have happened in your life. And I want you just to start at your birth 
and lay a symbol on the line for each either really good thing that's happened or really bad thing that's happened. And each time you lay one of those symbols, I'm going to ask you, you know, just a tiny bit about it, what it represents, what it was, when it happened, and just a title for it, but not lots of detail. Net can also be adapted in some contexts. For example, in the DRC where Katie works, in addition to stones and flowers, they also use sticks. The sticks represent where the person has been a perpetrator of violence, perhaps under duress. For children, other methods such as using figures or Play-Doh or drawing can be used for the lifeline. So you have your lifeline as a guide and then you've decided how you're going to divide up the time. And then you normally will start, most people have a bit of time in their life before something traumatic happens. So you might cover that first, someone's childhood, nicer memories and so on. And then you, as, as fast as you can, really get into the first traumatic event. And then when you do that, you kind of talk it through in a kind of blow by blow account, really. So you dance when you slow down the what happens and you get the person to describe it in as much detail as possible. And what you're trying to get them to do is to play this multi-sensory video in their head for you so that you can see it and hear it too. Um, and you ask them questions about what they're thinking and what they're feeling and what they can smell and taste and so on as well. And you walk through it moment by moment, really. And then as that happens, what will normally then happen is that the person will start to have flashbacks as well. So as they talk through the trauma in a lot of detail, they'll ping back and feel like they're re-experiencing it again. And so what you do as a therapist is you draw their attention to the present as that happens, get them back in the room, draw their attention to the fact that there's a different smell now, they're in the UK now, it's, they're not being hurt now, things like that. So that arm wrestle idea, you pull them back to the present again. When you've got them back talking to you again, then you carry on. And, and there's a lot of kind of dipping in and out of the present to allow the person to, to talk through their, their trauma. If you didn't do that, they'd just get locked into talking about the past and they wouldn't be responding to you, so you need to bring them back. And so normally talking through a stone will take an hour an hour and a half and then you you talk through until the it's over <laughs> you make sure you get to the end you get to the part where the patient feels less afraid safe at least for now and then you know you check they're okay and then they go home and then the therapist types up an account of that session you know it's normally a page or so it's not hours and hours of account it's like a summary of what happened and then at the beginning of the next session, the person, the therapist reads it back to the patient again and checks that they've got it right and the patient gets a chance to correct it or add anything in. And also reflect on how it feels to hear it again. And normally what happens is it's a bit easier to talk about and think about the second time having done it the week before. An additional positive factor about NET is that by telling one's own story from the beginning to the end, by giving a detailed account of one's own narrative, the individual puts all of the traumatic events within context, restores their autobiographical memory, and the social and political context that these events happen to is also attended to, as well as the positive events that have happened to them. So these can be used as resources at difficult times and at difficult points along the lifeline. 
And at the end, the client receives the full narrative that the therapist has prepared for them, um, which they can then either use for human rights purposes or keep safe, read again, or they might choose not to have it. But at least the therapist has made a document, has proven, I have listened to you, I have taken your testimony, and I can give it to you to do with what you would like. So one particular benefit of NET is that it doesn't have to be mental health professionals that carry out the treatment. As Katie explains. So in terms of our work in providing mental health services within Congo, um, there are still few and far between. And at the moment, we are working both within health centres, training up nurses to deliver um, this specialist form of therapy for the treatment of post-traumatic stress disorder, or we treat former combatants in NGOs. And we also have included recently a community-based approach which targets the responses of the community when they are welcoming back SGBV survivors or, or former combatants and tries to encourage people to share their stories and to share their experiences and to reduce the, the overall avoidance of these narratives, basically, and at the same time to discuss how the community could potentially aid some of these returning victims rather than uh, continue to discriminate you know, and, and to discuss whether this is actually possible. So our work at the moment is working with, at all levels, so at an individual level with those who have experienced SGBV and, and suffer from PTSD, at a group level and also at the community level. So in our current projects in the Democratic Republic of Congo, we are training non-professionals to deliver narrative exposure therapy. So this can include people who are teachers, who are social workers, who are community helpers, but people who are not specialists in mental health provision. And we find that this is realistic because we've also had experiences of training mental health professionals. And although they've been very dedicated, um, they're few and far between and they're often very overworked. They're often multitasking in health centres and, you know, having to provide treatments and, and have different tasks across different health disciplines. And unfortunately, mental health can be sort of seen as being a low priority when there are other physical health tasks to be attended to. So when we've trained non-professional counsellors in narrative exposure therapy. This has worked very effectively and our trial results have not found significant differences in training with these different groups. It's also a much more realistic method of making sure that effective treatments can be delivered to the maximum amount of people as possible where there are um, not very many professionals available to train to deliver this kind of therapy. So what we do in our trainings is we deliver a full training of three to four weeks, longer if needed, but that's usually what we're doing at the moment in our current project. And this training involves a diagnostic interview. They learn how to deliver diagnostic interviews and how to interpret the findings, the theory of NET, and then an awful lot of practice. And in practice, they go into small groups and they will learn how to process traumatic events in a small group with very closely supervised. 
And during this, we don't do role plays when we do the practice. What we do is we ask someone within the group to process one of their own traumatic events that they've experienced in life. And we do this deliberately because it's more real than doing a role play, but also because if we're taking non-professional community members to deliver the therapy, of course they have also usually had a high exposure to violence and to traumatic events. And so what we want to do is to, wherever possible, try to reduce their trauma load as well and so usually by the end of the training every person who is trained to be a therapist has also had the experience of being the client in one of these group practices and have processed their own traumatic events as well. Following the training, those who are successful and doing well at delivering the therapy, we encourage them to start treatment straight away. And we provide in our current project supervision and we encourage people to pair up at first. So one person will be the therapist while the other person is writing the narration and then they swap. And with regular supervision, we also discuss the cases that they have and and try to work with them to think about where things are going wrong and how they can improve in their treatment delivery. And as I've said, the the results in the randomised control trials have shown that NET and its adaptations are very effective, robust treatments for the reduction of PTSD symptoms and also for increasing functionality, which is very, very important in insecure settings where resources are scarce. That brings us to the end of this episode. If you'd like to find out more about NET, we have resources listed in our podcast descriptions. In our next episodes, we're going to talk about a few other mental health therapies and also different contexts that can help support mental health interventions.